Welcome to Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street, where each week we take a light-hearted look into the stories and individuals that make up the wonderful world of hospitality. Today's guest is the fantastic Mike Stocks, hospitality consultant and all-round operational guru. Coming up on today's show... Mike reveals that he's living the high life. I'm taking 40 flights a year. I'm opening a dozen restaurants. So I'm buying a million, two million bottles of wine. Phil dishes out some more exquisite advice. A little note from your Uncle Phil. It's definitely worth doing your research before you go into backwater bars anywhere in the world. And Mike demonstrates that food tastings really can be conducted anywhere. And he basically conducted the menu tasting on an upturned double bed in the middle of the garden with all the cooking being done on two camping gas stoves. All that and so much more as Mike walks us through his incredible story and journey to date. Mike really is a brilliant all-rounder and demonstrates throughout what you can build when you are willing to take opportunities that present themselves. Thanks so much, Mike. Don't forget, we launch a brand new episode each week telling the amazing and always amusing stories from hospitality. So make sure you hit that subscribe button and give us a like and a share across your favourite social networks. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to the next episode of Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street. Today, we head into the world of consulting and today's guest brings with him quite a characterful reputation. Uh, which we'll talk about in a sec, but uh, but no pressure. And welcome to the show, Mike Stocks. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. You're very welcome. How are you doing? Not too bad at all, thank you. All things considered, can't complain. Yeah, uh, to give it context, we are literally the day after Boris's end of February announcement about our roadmap back to some kind of normality. What were your uh, What were your initial thoughts? I'll be honest, it's pretty much what I was expecting. I think that... Yeah, so lessons learned in the past about the government particularly taking things too quickly or backtracking. And I think whilst uh, I think all of us like to be open and sitting in the pub a little bit sooner, at least when we do go back, if it's permanent, or at least as permanent as it can be, all for the better. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm gutted because um, my wife and I have a trip to uh, Spain booked, which was taking in El Sela de Can Roca in Girona uh, on the 7th of May. And uh, but international travellers, I think they've said is is not going to be possible until mid May at the earliest. So we're jumping on the front foot and rearranging our holiday plans. Ouch. Yeah. Yeah. It's the second time we've rearranged it as well. Ouch. Yeah, we're supposed to be celebrating our wedding. We got married. Uh, my husband and I last August. Right. We managed to find that little gap in between the, uh, the main lockdowns, and that was just kind of a small family thing over here. And then planning a big party in Italy originally last September obviously didn't happen. Currently yeah. scheduled for the end of May, looking less likely. Mm. But we'll get there. Maybe we'll tie in with the first anniversary or something. But yeah, it's one step at a time. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, enough of all that old rubbish. We're um, we're not here to talk about COVID. So, uh, and I appreciate that I was the one that led us that way. Yeah. So, where are you in the world today? So I am where I've been most of the past year. It seems <laughs> I'm, I'm in sunny uh, East London in uh, in Stratford, and. Uh, Working the wonderful world of, uh, of consultancy, predominantly with hospitality, a little bit of retail, and uh, yeah, doing my thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I alluded to the fact at the, the beginning of that chat there that you come with a bit of a, a characterful reputation. I could only go, you and I have never met, so um, I can only go on what other people have told me. It's all good, by the way. Um, and and the, um, the, the two characters, of course, that's, that presented me with this information, I'm sure you know who I'm talking about are Kieran and Chris at EXP 101. Indeed, lovely guys. I've uh, done a fair few bits with uh, with Kieran and Chris. I uh, worked with Chris for many a year. And uh, 
We also think, yeah, we have mutual acquaintances in, uh, in Liam Wood, your panto buddy, amongst other things. Indeed. Yeah, it's a small world, really, isn't it? Indeed, scarily small at times. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Well, let's head all the way back to the beginning of your career. How did you get into hospitality in the first place? We'll do the slightly abridged version because otherwise it'd be kind of an extended episode. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I grew up down in uh, deepest, darkest Somerset. Uh, luckily without the accent. Apologies to anyone with a uh, West Country accent. <laughs> when I was probably, I think I was around sort of 15, 16, and in the school holidays looking for a bit of beer money, obviously uh, soft drinks, maybe because I was 15 or 16, but nonetheless. Yep. And uh, yeah, the big kind you of... Can, you can say that in the public domain. We, yeah, we, you and right. I can talk about the reality some other time. <laughs> exactly. But yeah. Um, but yeah, obviously being Somerset, there was a lot of kind of seasonal work and like in uh, basically kind of meat processing places. Not the most glamorous work, not the most fun work. Very well paid at the time, but essentially spending eight, nine hours a day in a walk-in chiller, putting chops into plastic cartons. Wasn't the most sort of fun, exciting, but needs must. I wanted holidays. I wanted beer. So I would generally kind of do that for uh, I know, a week or two in the summer holidays, maybe a few days at Easter. And when I turned uh, 18, I kind of decided there must be something else I could do. There must be some more opportunities that didn't involve me, say, spending my days in in walking fridges or a particularly bad days walking freezers not a particularly pleasant experience yeah. and I remember it was actually the Easter holidays back in a, I won't give away my age in the year but it was a it was a while back uh, in the space <laughs> of I think 24 hours I managed to get myself two part-time jobs one was in the local branch of Threshers the old off-license chain I'm definitely yeah. my age there haven't been around for a while oh, well, yeah, you're in the same generation as me then because I remember that indeed and yes yeah, so I literally the same day also managed to get a kind of part-time job down at a little local family-run hotel, predominantly kind of helping out with weddings, functions, that kind of thing. And it was a combination of those kind of two things where I think initially it was just, yeah, say something that didn't involve working in a meat processing plant during the summer holidays. And pretty early on kind of realized that actually this is kind of fun, not least working in off-license, learning a little bit about wines, something which I uh, kind of took with me. And particularly at this, uh, say this family-run hotel, still Still there, the Lord Lee's Hotel, if you find yourself on the outskirts of Chard. Right. But a great little family-run business. And I say, I went in initially kind of helping out with weddings, functions. And it was a bit of a, not so much trial by fire, but a great kind of learning curve. So remember kind of typically you'd rock up on the Saturday morning at I don't know, half seven, eight o'clock. You'd do some uh, breakfast for the, the guests who were staying there ready for the wedding. You'd then move on to kind of food prep, getting everything ready for the meal. you do the meal service, end of the meal service, jump behind the bar, do the bar. So yeah leaving any point between, I don't know, 11 and 1 in the morning. But yeah, I guess over the course of a shift, it would be a bit of commie chef, a bit of kitchen porter, a bit of waitering, a bit of bartending, and the whole kind of works. And I say what started off as something as a, yeah, so helping out with functions alike, kind of evolved into pretty much a, a full-time work during the holidays. I say real lovely family-run business and yeah, learned a lot from that and just really enjoyed it. I think the whole idea of a bit of variety in there, you never quite knew what the the day was going to throw at you it was a little more kind of yeah fun and entertaining i then moved up to london for university initially looking yep. to well actually did study one year at least of law wow that's a bit yeah, different exactly bit of a change i would probably add at this point yeah i came from quite academic so schooling was very much kind of pushed towards it wasn't so much a question of are you going to university but which one and yeah it's got to be a good university and do a proper degree and you know a bit more of a an old school approach but yeah nonetheless i uh, found myself up in uh, the big city bright lights so did you just think to yourself, do you know what? I'm I'm having too much fun here. I need to I need to rein it in. Uh <laughs> to yeah. law. Exactly. I think it was probably yeah, I don't know, 
kidding myself or appeasing some people that I thought, yeah, that's probably what I should be doing. And over the course of that first year, I I carried on doing some of this kind of work during the holidays. I actually also started working with Threshers up here in London, which is also fun. And there are definite benefits to getting a staff discount in an awfully license at your first year of university. It certainly makes a makes making friends a whole lot easier. Yeah. So yeah, kind of combine those things. And by the end of that kind of first year, it was like, actually, I don't really know if I want to be studying law. I'm quite enjoying this whole uh, hospitality lark. So basically without telling my family, without telling anybody really, I uh, so planned everything for what would have been second year universities. I had a house share again here in East London, got kind of everything set and sorted. And I thought I'll go out, I'll find myself a job. I'll you know, be in a position where I can kind of, you know, pay my bills etc cetera, etc cetera. then I'll maybe tell my parents uh, right. and that's pretty much what I did so within again a matter of days I think of coming up to uh, a flat share in uh, in Shadwell at the time which is quite a different place back then I got myself a against a part-time job in a I'm trying to think of a polite adjective but a, a very local east end boozer we'll put it that way okay definitely some characters in there definitely some uh yeah some interesting events and occurrences. Make more on those Some later. moments of uh, stretching your comfort zone. Yeah, it was you know it was quite a different uh, different kettle of fish. But again, it was actually good fun. There were uh, you know a really nice kind of crowd in there, and but at the same time realised that probably you know a couple of shifts a week in a pub wasn't going to necessarily cover the full whack of what I needed. So I started looking for, uh, for other jobs and more something full time out there, and stumbled across a little company that was just starting up called Carlitos, and uh, and thus began uh, just shy of twenty years with uh with that particular company yeah uh, that i mean that tells me and we'll talk about your kind of journey within carluccio's in a sec but that tells me that they must have been doing something right yeah absolutely i think it was it just kind of felt like something you know interesting something exciting something yeah a bit different what was out there and again i'm sure we'll talk a bit more about them as a, as a company but i think one of the things which particularly appealed for me at the time. This comes back to the to early referencing of basically dropping out of university, getting a job in uh, in restaurants, and then kind of breaking the news. It just felt like it was also the kind of business which, both when it kind of started, but had the potential to be that little bit something more than, so yeah, you run the mill kind of restaurants that were out there. And I think, yeah, the idea that it was, yeah, dare I say, kind of a bit more kind of prestigious and no disrespect to, you know, other brands out there, but it was probably easier to turn around to my parents and say, so just so you know, not actually going back to university, but I've got myself a job at Carluccio's rather than, you know, I'm uh, you know, flipping burgers or polishing glasses, wherever else it may be. Yeah. Let, do you know, it, you must have some academic intelligence going on there, though, that for you to kind of even entertain the prospect of, like, they don't just let anybody in to do law. So you, it's it's interesting that you, you clearly had academic capability, but it's not, I had this, I definitely didn't have academic capability to get me into to law school. I also didn't have much application when I was a young kid. But what I did have was application to stuff that I actually really enjoyed doing. And uh, and that's how I found hospitality in the end. But it sounds like you kind of you were doing law to satisfy someone else but not yourself. And and along came hospitality and and kind of filled that gap. Yeah, I think that's what I think that you know, I mentioned before, it's kind of my education, which I'm hugely grateful for. It was a uh, very, very beneficial in kind of all things, but it was particularly, yeah, geared towards academia. You know, my school was very much again. It was not just about going to university, but which university. Uh, I interviewed for Oxford. It was all kind of driving in that kind of direction. Right. Yeah, and I was. You know, I'm going to be honest. I was a geek. <laughs> I was. Yeah. 
I was far more into kind of, yeah, kind of doing well sort of academically or otherwise. I guess kind of the exception to that, I I did play a bit of rugby, which some people look at me now and be slightly surprised at, but that was something I kind of enjoyed. But also drama became a big thing when I was, uh, particularly kind of from my teenage years, something else I kind of partake in. I guess that was a bit of that kind of release. And, and You mean the subject of drama, not just yeah. drama generally? I mean, probably both, to be honest. But yeah. Definitely, yeah. <laughs> the subject of drama, exactly. So whether it was, yeah, acting, directing, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I think that's probably a bit more of the kind of, that's the dotted line towards hospitality, I guess, is... Uh, a degree of whether it's kind of performance or you know particularly I think that's engaging other people and I think that's kind of the key side rather than certainly when I was doing that first year of law say yeah it was fine it did the job but it wasn't really kind of yeah it wasn't floating my boat as they say and having kind of yeah. to toe in the uh, in the world of hospitality it's like actually I'm gonna kind of give this a go and my initial plan was just to take a year out from university to probably you know prove myself wrong and you know I'm being a muppet who wants to be working you know long hours and Saturday nights and so on and so forth for comparatively at least compared with uh, being a lawyer not as much money but yeah I literally I, yeah, loved it and never looked back and yeah and say almost 20 years with the same company yeah so you, how what did you start in Carluccio's as so I initially started as a barista again I think that was partly to do with the law thing it was easy to kind of mumble down the phone that I was a barista as opposed to a barrister it sounded kind of close enough <laughs> it's all genetics here um, yeah. yeah, it keeps the, kept the parents happy for a couple of years longer. Yeah, exactly. Well. Comparing at that point, I think, you know, the furthest I'd gone with my uh, coffee making skills was uh, you know, a couple of scoops in Nescafe or maybe a little uh, kind of stovetop yeah. machine. So uh, right. you've got to start somewhere, right? Exactly. And uh, yeah, I think and I, I signed up my original employee number. I remember being at MP002, so Marketplace, the first site there. And ah, okay. uh, yeah, one of, I believe, 23 employees at the time. And right. uh, Needs to say, it grew quite a bit from there. Yeah, it definitely went a long way. Obviously, all down to you. A hundred percent. I mean, it's and the coffee that you were making. Exactly. I mean, single-handedly, I basically created an empire. Fact. Um, <laughs> with a little help from friends, definitely. Yeah, some input from other places, but um, yeah, okay. And then from there, how did you how did you progress through? Yeah, so basically, so the Kalicho's journey. So a couple of things, really. One, I guess I stuck things out. So, you know, whether through the, you know, the rough, the smooth, I felt it yeah. was, you know, an exciting company. You know, I referenced before about the, you know, originally this was a year out from university, but just as we're coming up to a year, we're just about to open the second location, which is kind of quite exciting. And obviously there's kind of plans for growth within it. I say by dint of being, you know, one of the first two bar employees, very quickly, so within that first year, I guess I was then sort of doing all of the training for people on the bar so whether that was new people joining the bar whether it was new managers joining the business for this kind of initial phase of growth within a few months after that I was then getting involved in a bit more kind of the drink side of things whilst not at that point overseeing kind of the buying I was delivering yeah the training I was getting a bit more involved in some of the kind of product selection side of things and both of those two things I guess kind of in in parallel evolved as the as the business was growing I had the opportunity to move into management which actually turned down at the time because I felt there was more of an opportunity to yeah both kind of develop the bar side of things and yeah some other areas which are a bit more kind of I guess just interesting to me for want of a better word yep and I think actually is interesting enough it was only in probably my last couple of years at Carlucho's that I actually did a job that somebody else had done before me in the business if that makes sense oh really Um, right yeah so I was I was (laughs) yeah whether intentionally otherwise kind of creating my own uh a career path kind of through the business so so yeah, yeah within say, a year or two I was essentially I think my job title became sort of bar trainer and essentially that so I was doing basically anything to do with the bar kind of fell under my remit 
few other random things in there as well. So I do things like so stock take training with new managers. I don't know why. Maybe I was good at spreadsheets or something. It's, um, it's, it's probably your name. Yeah, That's exactly. It, it had to be done. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's... I'm guessing that you've never heard that joke before ever. Ah, yeah, once or twice. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, that was, to be fair, I think that was very often on people's training programs was stocks with stocks on a Sunday night, Monday morning. <laughs> It's, it's got it's got a ring to it that's for it sure does. it also sounds like a really boring tv show um, <laughs> but uh yeah, yeah that, pitch it to bbc2 it sounds bbc2-esque uh, yeah definitely i mean more bbc4 but we'll we'll see what they say yeah yeah and so yeah essentially that yeah that became kind of a bigger bigger deal as you know the business start to grow and then at some point within i guess a couple of years i was then essentially picked up the drinks buying piece which is something i probably did for around about 15 years somewhere between yeah 12 15 years so essentially at one point i think i was buying about one and a half two million bottles of wine a year right for the were you buying any for the business yeah, yeah exactly that... that was a, some great yeah. Friday nights in there <laughs> yeah and then i guess the other thing that happened relatively quickly was yeah it essentially became sort of part of the openings team so all the new store openings i'd go off for anywhere from three four eight weeks to a new opening again initially with a with sort of a bar focus so train up all the new stuff from the bar but then within a few years I was essentially kind of heading up the the openings team doing all the new store openings and I lost count I think at 100 restaurants so yeah opened a fair few of them so chances are if you've been to Carly shows I probably it's your them. fault exactly blame me and if not definitely yeah. blame Liam so basically if it's good it was one of my openings if not it was definitely one of those Liam's got um, it I noted yeah <laughs> but uh yeah and so yeah alongside at one point opening up to a dozen restaurants a year my married men and women we also then sort of started uh, dabbling in the world of of international so i went out to dublin to dubai for the first kind of franchise sites again initially as kind of an openings trainer i suppose that's that's in some ways if that's a franchise as well you're kind of almost that's a, a first toe into consulting Definitely. Because it's, it's not a core Carluccio's product, as it were, but obviously they've got to yeah. adhere to standards. So true. And it was, yeah, it was taking very much what you know, used to doing a, you know, a new store opening here in the UK, but then having to, yeah, exactly sort of adapt that and fit in with what, and as you say, very similar to consulting where essentially what the, you know, the clients wants or needs, but at the same time, making sure that we're, you know, that things are on brand, that things are kind of being adhered to. So it was, yeah, a huge sort of eye opener. And, you know, by this point I was probably six seven years in the business maybe a little bit more and so had that kind of insight if you like and particularly from having seen some multiple locations and multiple iterations and mm. you know, just things like so menu development where obviously you know in the middle east a good example there were no no port products on the menu of course so yeah. you're then kind of looking to yeah, look at whether it's the specials or other options and thinking well actually wait we used to have this you know, this beef carpaccio that can go in place of the parma ham so on and so forth so it was kind of thinking yeah thinking differently about the same kind of challenges if that makes sense so so yeah I, at this point i'm kind of simultaneously kind of looking after yeah, all things bar looking after the drinks buying looking after new store openings and including that now maybe two or three times a year uh some of the international side of things so i was busy i think it's fair to say yeah <laughs> keeping on my toes um <laughs> And then, yeah, and we kind of reached a point then where kind of new store openings, the growth was such that it just wasn't feasible for me to be doing kind of all of these openings. So we essentially kind of split to having not really kind of two teams, but we'd have kind of, yeah, be in a position where we could kind of run two openings simultaneously. And, you know, some of the great people who were part of my kind of openings training team then moved on to kind of head up those openings. And, and most notable about those are, uh, so that mutual friend of ours, uh, Liam Wood, who uh, was yeah. my weight trainer for a good many openings, and then uh, 
got a lot to answer for all that man yeah pass the mantle and you know i do like to pay my taught him all he knows but uh yeah just the good stuff no i no he was an absolute legend and obviously still is and yeah great fun to work with and yeah i mean it was a both kind of a incredibly intense but at the same time yeah massively rewarding time where you you know you turn up on day one for what's essentially kind of a, a just finished building site and walk away you know after a few weeks to see something that is yeah is doing what you hoped it would do yeah i can imagine that's that's phenomenally rewarding definitely and and again the amazing you know, people i did get to work with are you know so properly friends for life you know you don't have an option a lot of the time you're spending six months a year away from home literally close to 24 7 with these people you know you're sharing you know apartments hotels whatever it may be you're working with them during the day on your day off you're sightseeing recovering from hangovers whatever it may be with these same people and if you don't get on you don't last too long yeah. in that side of things so we yeah became very much a i guess kind of little family and uh yeah had some very very fun times more on those later maybe yeah um and then uh yeah i guess what then happened that's the kind of college side of things so at one point i think we kind of were at this point of opening yeah maybe up to sort of 15 restaurants a year it was kind of going pretty big but i think there was a, a realization that maybe at some point we were kind of going to reach capacity or get close to it in the uk so looking at other opportunities and looking to kind of grow the, the international side of things more mm. so we brought in a guy to the business as a international development director and yeah, at that point, we're just opening in Turkey. So this might be opened in the Middle East. So I'd open sites in Dubai, Qatar, Kuwait, and Dublin uh, from the international side of things. And it was during this first opening in Istanbul as another guy called Mike, interesting enough, came on board. And he had a lot of background in franchising and international side of things, but obviously was pretty new to the business. And within a few months, I think, of him joining, unbeknownst to me, he basically turned around to Simon Kossoff, our then uh, CEO, and asked if I could join him in the in Team International, as it were. He was looking for somebody who right. had kind of you know business experience, particularly from kind of a brand side of things. And it was kind of perfect timing because I was, you know, I was kind of happy with what I was doing, but it was kind of similar to what I'd been doing probably for a couple of years at that point. Yeah, it may be a bit comfortable. Exactly, and you know, nothing like a, a new challenge. So yeah, I joined a kind of team international which perhaps confusingly in a business at this point of probably one and a half thousand employees the international department was run by two guys called mike <laughs> very confusing but we kind of got there and so yeah at that point my role evolved into a college's first international operations manager which sounds very glamorous it does that's fun and it yeah kind of uh, it worked we yeah kind of continued going with sort of the, the business we had and then decided to uh, to take the leap and launch in the u.s we did that ourselves, uh, whether wisely or, or not. An incredible experience, but wow, yeah, it was intense. I think during the first opening where there were essentially three of us from the UK, I think, and two people locally to pretty much build the entire business from scratch. Right. And yeah, I think during that first opening in the space of, I think, a fortnight, I think I lost about 11 kilos, which is probably not yeah. healthy. Well, openings are in in any form are uh, a strain, right, on the the system, on the body. In terms of you're you're probably running around a little bit more than you you normally are, and probably getting most of my calories in liquid form as well, which doesn't help. Yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. No, it was uh, yeah, but again, sort of incredible. Where for all of the kind of yeah, the intensity of it, yeah, the opportunities, I guess, the kind of you know, new skills you either learnt or were forced to learn. 
yeah, really kind of, yeah, on one side kind of tests you, but I think you get that real kind of buzz from it where, you know, typical day, I don't know, yeah, starting in the morning with you know, writing a training program for the day before doing a bit of menu development, putting together some marketing materials, creating the till system, the inventory system from scratch, meeting with a supplier in the afternoon, and then, you know, doing a report for back in the UK in the evening. And it's like, right, that's a standard day. So yeah, yeah. really any opportunity to get bored in that. But also, you're, you're, as you say, the, the learning experience must be phenomenal. And also, you know, yes, okay, there's this moment where you're kind of having to stretch what you think is possible, but think about where you come out on the other side of that. And it must be, it must be really rewarding. Oh, no, absolutely. And I think, again, one of the things which has good, kept me in good stead with the uh, kind of consulting that I'm doing now is having yeah, seen so many different aspects of, of the business kind of, you know, inside out from top to bottom. I think kind of really helps in terms of one, hopefully, you know, allow me to do you know, a lot of different kind of variety in the in the work I do, which is great. Mm. But also to be able to kind of look at a business and say, right, okay, I can see it from this side, see it from that perspective, and a bit of a it sounds like a, a bit of cliche, but the kind of the three sixty view of things rather than being super focused and sort of specialized in just one area. Yeah. So yeah, very interesting. And then yeah, again, probably a year or two later, there were I think at the time some challenges going on, particularly in the UK market. There's some challenges generally in the business. And so there's a bit of a pause put on looking at significant sort of international growth opportunities. So the other Mike left the business, leaving me as the the one man band for all things international. The only Mike. Indeed. Just back to the one Mike. Yeah. On that side definitely made things easier from a you know confusion side of things, but obviously yeah, yeah, a little bit more going on there. From a workload perspective but yeah again was you know it was super challenging but at the same time so very fun it was interesting actually uh come back to kind of the school and the more kind of uh you know academic kind of push i remember one of the uh one of the kind of conversations i had in my sort of final year of a of study with some careers advisor person and when i came out with my uh, kind of job recommendation was to join the diplomatic service and <laughs> i was very kind of like tinker taylor and something out of a i don't know yeah that sounds really mysterious indeed but then the irony is that i remember sitting at one point i think i was uh, probably in an airport somewhere and thought actually this isn't a million miles of what i've ended up doing here i am you know working with a you know a franchise partner i'm you know on the one side looking to you know please and keep them happy and satisfied and you know support their business but at the same time i'm looking after the interests of obviously the parent company and the uk brand and sort of juggling those two things so actually you know, i think diplomacy was uh yeah you're keeping the peace developed or uh was lucky enough to have so so yeah that was kind of looking after all things international at various points i was still looking after the drink side of things other points that would get passed on to somebody else where there's some realization that someone come board and say yeah this makes no sense we've got you know, my opening restaurant in the u.s and at the same time choosing some special wines for the business for the next six months yeah and then i think after yeah a couple of periods of time it's actually waiting we probably don't need somebody to be doing the drink side of things full time we'll let them go or we'll repurpose them within the business mike can you do it again so it was kind of like the, <laughs> the back and forth so yeah i was never really complaining on the drink side i'll be honest and then yeah i guess then the kind of the final sort of evolution towards the last kind of couple of years of my time in carlichos was to move into the role of central operations manager and that's the one that probably had existed in some way shape or form before i took it but was uh it was, yeah, it was, again, something interesting, something different. It was far more managing, essentially, the, yeah, kind of the communications within the business, for want of a better word. So, yeah, I was still looking after all things international, but that was kind of a slightly lesser part of the business at that stage. So, we still had the Middle Eastern business, but the Turkish business was pretty much um, still winding up. The US business had kind of been and gone by that point. The Irish business, I'd helped to kind of reintegrate back. We bought back the franchise and essentially made it part of the, the UK business. 
and after that kind of reintegration that was then essentially treated a bit like a, a UK restaurant if that makes sense. It's a tricky one isn't it when you're you're going into new patches and new cultures I think I actually talked about this with Liam when when I had him on the show around the fact that it's one thing for a restaurant to work where it kind of originated from because you know an awful lot probably about what does work here and what doesn't but when you take that it's not just as easy as just taking a successful blueprint and rolling it out in, in a new patch I would imagine. No, absolutely. And it's, you're right, I think, you know, Liam did reference this. It's, you know, sometimes it's not what you expect to be the challenges that prove to be the challenges and sometimes kind of vice versa. Yeah. And it was always a, yeah, a lot of time I found it a very kind of chicken and egg situation where you get certain sort of, uh, you know, kickback on some things locally. And yeah, there was always this kind of say, bit of a chicken and egg scenario over actually is the reason that this isn't popular because nobody does it. So actually here's where the opportunity is. And this is something where, you know, we've got a point of difference. This is something we can you know, do really well as a brand. Or is it just, you know, there's really not a cultural fit here and we're, you know, we're wasting our time trying to push something mm. that just isn't going to work. And so there's always that kind of, and it is a very, yeah, it's quite a thin line, but at the same time, it's a, a flexible line of, you know, is both required and necessary and appropriate for the business locally, but at the same time, kind of keeping things on brand. And a, you know, a really good example of this for me was always to do with breakfast. So, you know, college is always kind of, uh, you know, multi-day parts and ticking all the boxes. And if you look at what Carluccio's breakfast offer is, essentially, it's a bit of an Italian twist on an English breakfast. Um, yeah, I, I have to say, I always enjoy the Carluccio's breakfast. The breakfasts are good. Yeah. But the, the reality being that, you know, we had a very, you know, certainly more so to begin with, a very kind of purist Italian approach to to what we kind of did. You know, a uh, huge part of that obviously to do with, uh, with Antonio Carluccio. But there were certain things that didn't kind of really translate. So, you know, you asked it. An Italian, yeah. You know, what's a typical Italian breakfast? And they were like, coffee, maybe a croissant. Yeah. Might have a little bit of, you know, cured meats or something. Maybe a, you know, a slice of cake. But it's not really kind of a big thing. But obviously, you know, here in the UK, it's potentially more, particularly in sort of a restaurant setting. So we'd find ourselves sort of in the Middle East and particularly in Turkey, where you know, a typical Turkish breakfast, they have some of their own sort of great local dishes, and you know, more like to get kind of like yes, yeah, so cheeses and charcuterie and little cucumbers and stuff right and so yeah actually well, we need to be doing that because it makes no sense to have an italian restaurant in istanbul serving an italian twist on an english breakfast yeah <laughs> you're trying to try to fit uh, actually, a square peg into a round hole yeah, so type thing exactly so let's work up a what is essentially recognizable as being you know a turkish breakfast but how do you put our italian twist on it so maybe we're using some italian cheeses here maybe you know some italian meats so you're getting the same kind of yeah the concept is there but just adapted to that local market Mm. so yeah i think that, that would have been really cool to do that to, to one kind of immerse yourself in local culture and understand what does work and then to how do we adapt and fit our product so that it's interesting for the local people and we're not trying to i suppose force people into to coming into our concept when maybe it just doesn't as you said it, it works here in the uk but maybe it just doesn't work in turkey or it doesn't work in the usa yeah, absolutely. And exactly. And it's having that kind of flex around it where it is, it's finding you still want to have that point of difference. You still want to be unique and not just, you know, A another. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, certainly was one of the big strengths of the Carluccio's was to have that kind of point of difference. But at the same time, yeah, it needs to work. It needs to, you know, offer what people want. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, fun times. Yeah. So uh, central operations manager at this point. Exactly. And then, yeah. So again, something kind of slightly different. It was 
picking up, I guess, a lot of what I had been doing previously in the international thing and still continue to. So, you know, working particularly with the, the heads of departments and but this time more of a, yeah, sort of a UK focus. So manage that whole kind of liaison between what was happening with each of these kind of departments, with the ops guys, with the restaurants, and just trying to kind of, I guess, kind of, yeah, sort of prioritize and organize and and just make things more successful, what no better word, certainly in terms of kind of delivery. We had a bit of a, a period where particularly, you know, this is a, now, by now a, a very big business we're you know in excess of a uh, 120 locations i think in the uk there's a thousand one things kind of going on and at the same time there's a lot of challenges in the marketplace and i think what was happening quite a lot is we were trying to basically do 101 things to you know improve the business to do whatever else but sometimes trying to do too much at the same time so you imagine just you know poor gm in one of the restaurants suddenly finds out this week you know we're updating your credit card payment devices we're also launching this new promotion on the retail side of things we've got this new menu in the restaurant and at the same time here's some new health and safety stuff that we need to train with the guys on mm. and it's like okay yeah the chance of all of that landing is not going to happen so yeah. i guess a big part of kind of the central ops role was kind of yeah managing each of those things so that rather than you know, this being the top priority for it this being top for accounts this being marketing is taking all of those things and saying, right, let's get some line of sight of how this looks over the next kind of month, three months, so on and so forth. Right, that's not business critical. We're going to push that one back. This one is, so bring this forward. And then just managing all of that so it was more, yeah, I guess more successful in terms of kind of delivering. And again, I think that's where it's useful having experience from both, if you like, kind of a, an office side of things, but also in the restaurants uh, to be able to look at something and say, actually, yeah, no, that's just not important. Or, you know, that is something yeah. which you know can be done. So yeah, it was kind of interesting, it was fun. And then I guess kind of the last big project I worked on was the so project Fresca, which was, I guess, kind of a, a refresh of of the brand of the business from a, a design and menu, uh, so everything else perspective, which, yeah, was actually a really nice kind of note to end on, because for me, it was almost kind of a, yeah, sort of back to the origins, back to what you know, what made Carlichos Carlichos. And we launched that in uh, Richmond, just kind of prior to leaving, and then we kind of yeah, plans to, to roll it out further across the business. But yeah, it was a great opportunity for me to, I guess, kind of yeah, share some of those 20 odd years of, uh, almost 20 years, sorry, of, uh, of knowledge and kind of insight into, yeah, kind of rediscovering the, the DNA of what made Carlichos Carlichos. Yeah. I think the, the thing is as well, the, the, one of the perceptions out there of somebody who's been with a company for 20 odd years is that you know you play it safe, but in actual fact, in your circumstance, to be with a company for a long period of time is it's because there was new opportunity. It seems every time you know it's not it's not what's the need to go looking for something when there are you know there are things that are sending you into a place where you're going to be stretched again, sending you into new territories where you have to learn new things. So it would have been perpetually interesting, by the sounds of it. Yeah, absolutely, and you know it is. It's one of those. Um, you work in the, the world of recruitment yourself you know this that sometimes yeah, there's that challenge of you know somebody might look at a cv and say like okay yeah almost 20 years in one business it's like okay this person's you know either one of those kind of you know you're part of the furniture and you know just ticking over waiting for your, your carriage clock yeah <laughs> and and yeah no, I, yeah of course that you know ask a lot of those kind of questions of is that person just kind of you know yeah say are they lucky are they just kind of sticking out are they you know afraid to move afraid of change but the reality was i had so much yeah, change and opportunity within that business. Say, so, yeah, here was a guy who was, you know, 19 years old when I started. Say, so, never seen a, uh, a gadget coffee machine, let alone uh, train somebody to use it. And, you know, by the end of it, I'm you know, taking 40 flights a year. I'm opening a dozen restaurants. So I'm buying a million, two million bottles of wine. It's like, wow. Mm. Yeah. And, and yeah, you know, within that time, say, so, yeah, I worked for different sort of uh, 
guess kind of line managers, uh, to use the technical terminology, but loads of different people, most of them fantastic, some of them not. But in each of those cases, you know, you learn something, you take something from it, you look at, you know, essentially these kind of leaders essentially in the business and say, ah, I like the way you kind of do that. That's a, you know, that's a great approach. And side of it is like, okay, yeah, I can see why people aren't responding to you because this is your approach, so on and so forth. So, you know, I work with three different CEOs, you know, have many different kind of ops managers, GMs and people in the time, international franchise partners, you know, people would come, go, change. And interesting stuff, when when I decided it was time to to move on to past it's new, the simple reason being that I'd reached for the first time in, say, almost 20 years, I'd reached a point where I couldn't answer that question and subsequently it transpired that nobody in the business could answer the question for me of where will I be in two years time? Mm. And, right. you know, because the, you know, the business was going through some, you know, some challenging phases. We'd had some, you know, gone through a CBA process a couple of years before. Yeah. You know, I was sitting enough for the trading meetings to know that the numbers weren't looking too pretty. And, you know, can't try as we might, it felt more like, you know, we were, you know, we were bailing out the water rather than, uh, full steam yeah, ahead forging ahead and yeah. yeah and for me there's a point i was like actually you know i could have you know stuck it out i could have stayed there but you know that that fire was kind of gone from my side of things that kind of excitement where you know it used to be kind of a cliche of you know people ask you know you've been here have long so what's your ultimate aim and i'd be like ceo ofs yeah Sorry, I just said obvious. We can probably delete that. Sounds cool. Anyway. <laughs> uh, but uh, no, you're actually yeah, just was. trying to, to to stick to your youth. Yeah, That's exactly. Right. Just keep the odd uh, trendy trendy word in. I'm not even sure it is trendy anymore. It's kind I, of been no gone, isn't it? Just, yeah, it slipped in there. But yeah, but no. So yeah. I say, yeah, that ultimately, you know, for for the majority of my time there, that was that was my own ambition. It was like, well, why not? You know, if you don't want to, you know, go big or go home is always the approach. And yeah. And then, yeah, so two things kind of happened. One, I realized that I didn't really, that that was no longer the dream, but also that, yeah, I could, you know, could no longer see where that kind of stepping stone was and where that kind of next. Uh, next yeah. And that's was. understandable. So, I mean, you know, the, the, it, it sounds as well, like you're, you weren't, and please don't take this the wrong way, but it, you're, you weren't particularly strategic in your approach to the, your roles with Carlucci's. It was like an opportunity presented itself to you and you went, actually, that sounds great. Let's let's do that have i got that wrong or is that is that fair yeah, i think it probably is i think it's probably a combination of you're right sometimes you know opportunities presented yeah you know, the international ones are you know was a good example of that where it was something which i hadn't kind of considered at the time but yeah. i was having it you know it's a natural thing over a you know a length of time as i had with the business that of course there were those kind of blips where you're like yeah maybe it's time to you know to start looking maybe it's time to uh I agreed once to describe it as being, I think, yeah, passively looking. And those yeah. Kind of, yeah, they popped up from time to time. And this is one of those examples. And then suddenly that kind of came a little bit out of the blue where it's like, actually, yeah, great. That sounds fun. That's something different. That's, yeah, that's my next challenge. That's my next thing to, to get my teeth into. And there were other examples, particularly earlier on, where I'd be like, okay, I think this is what, you know, the business needs. I think that I can, you know, bring more benefit. I can do more, you know, for example, focusing on a, you know, a bar specific role than I could just being a another manager within the business. Yeah. And yeah, so those kind of combinations of things. And at the same time, I think, yeah, it was both a, you know, a great thing to explore so many different aspects of the company. But there was also probably an element, particularly towards the end, where that also became a bit of a challenge because you suddenly, you know, you're the guy who was asked about anything, everything from, you know, something getting call an email of, do you know where the gas shutoff is in this restaurant that you opened yeah. years ago? And it's kind of like, I do... But that's also kind of, you know, I've got quite a lot going on. Yeah. And also, I probably kind of have to be in the, in the space to remember exactly where it is with these things. Yeah, so true. And I think, yeah, it was you know, great to be, I guess, kind of valued and appreciated in that sense of, 
you know, that's a bit of a thump in the knowledge, particularly, you know, after you know, Antonio passed away and, you know, other people kind of left the business. It came down to, yeah, there were sort of a handful of us uh, old timers, I guess is the, uh, <laughs> definitely makes you feel old. But yeah, it kind of would be the, the ones whose, you know, brains to pick about, you know, this, that or the other. They suddenly sit in a meeting, some couple this great idea, and it's like, yeah, we tried that once. I'm not saying it wouldn't work now, but these were the challenges we had that time. This is why I say so often. It's like, uh, okay. Right. But yeah, and it was, yeah, so it was definitely for me time to move on. An awful thing to say, but the power of hindsight definitely also proved that to be the case where, you know, I think within six months of me departing, there was another kind of swathe of redundancies, unfortunately, within the business. Hmm. And I think within 12 months, just kind of around the, this time last year, coming up to it, yeah, again, this hit some financial problems, which ultimately ended up in you know, administration and then a part sale of the company. And, and yeah, unfortunately, uh, yeah, down to, I think, was it 25 locations kind of left. Yeah, it, what I mean, it's it's inevitable. I, I think, but especially in the food business, it's you know the evolution in in food offer throughout the the ages is now in the UK is just ridiculous. I mean, it's so quick to to move trend to move to you know that worked then, but actually now what I want is this, and and it's just it's perpetually changing all the time. It's really exciting, but a, a business has to evolve very quickly. Um, or it just gets left behind and yeah and that was you know that was definitely one of the big challenges now i don't think there's a you know we could do a whole series of podcasts on the you know what was hot what was not regarding that business but but yeah it was certainly true that uh that yeah there was you know a company of that size and that kind of yeah kind of reach you just lost all of that kind of nimbleness that kind of flexibility and it's funny you know talking about and also current things working sort of consulting you know i can put together drinks lists for somebody for example have every aspect of it from first conversation to live in the location in sort of a week or two, if you're talking about, you know, one or two sites. I remember in Carluccio's would be six months timelines for menu changes. And yeah, in that space, so much can happen, but you're, you know, it's almost kind of too late to, to do anything about it. And whether that's to do with, you know, trends, whether it's to do with commercials, you know, everything else, it, it becomes a whole, yeah, tougher, yeah, tougher scenario. And you are, you're kind of lumbered with, you know, this kind of slow, kind of juggernauting I think unfortunately that's probably what ultimately you know was the was the biggest challenge it was you know just a little uh, overburdened and everything just took a little bit too long to you know to implement to deliver to to be able to kind of change direction but yeah it's the old oil tanker analogy isn't it with the um takes two miles to turn or something like that whereas obviously if you're much smaller you can turn very quickly absolutely and that's what you know my hope is certainly you know obviously I haven't had a lot of opportunity with the this past 12 months but the, yeah but the business survives i've still got you know, some great friends within that business i still think it's a, yeah. a phenomenal brand and has that kind of opportunity and and my hope is certainly that as a more kind of more nimble operator they can uh yeah can come back fighting yeah so you left there and and was that the point where you went into into developing your own thing yeah so i kind of i i had a bit of limbo because you know classic i'd had you know 20 years to think about it but didn't actually decide what i was going to do next um, so I finally yeah. kind of yeah clicked send on the uh, on the resignation email and then I was like oh I should really ah. think about what I should be doing next yeah and um, it was always law yeah exactly back to, to fall back on exactly mature <laughs> student I could get away with it but uh, yeah and I spent a little bit of time kind of doing an hiring I I interviewed with a couple of I won't name names but similar businesses shall we say and at that stage realised that you know, it was very much yeah same stuff different company and it didn't kind of appeal it didn't feel as kind of yeah as exciting again it's like well actually if I wanted to be doing this then I should just stay put hmm. and I decided what I kind of missed what that's a cliche what I needed for my work was that kind of that excitement that kind of you know 
a bit more kind of variety. So rather than spending at times you know, 20 hours a week in meetings that just created more workable meetings, I went to actually kind of doing stuff that was, yeah, was kind of having an impact for want of a better word. So I kind of reached out to people I knew who were involved with either kind of smaller startups or those kind of smaller businesses looking to grow, kind of put some feelers out for whether you know, there are any roles within those businesses, which then kind of evolved into the kind of consulting side of things. So actually, you know, the nature of the beast, I think, you know, particularly for smaller businesses is, again, you know, lessons learned maybe from these, uh, from the bigger companies is rather than, you know, massively overstretch yourself with, you know, huge payroll costs and, and burdens that you know, could come back to bite you. Actually, maybe it's about, yeah, working with kind of consultants and people on sort of smaller projects, kind of bits here and there, which deliver what you need, but, you know, as a kind of, you know, a fixed price, fixed duration, and without leaving you kind of burdened with a, a fixed labor cost, which, uh, which you have to deal with. So, hmm. Yeah, I was fortunate enough to find a couple of great little clients to, to kind of kick things off. And yeah, it's, a, I guess, kind of a little bit of a, a sort of a snowball effect. But the more you kind of, you, know, you start doing these, then, you know, a bit of word of mouth, a bit of getting in touch with former colleagues or whatever else. And, you know, something like, how oh, would you be interested in this? On and so forth. A bit of you know, self-publicity where I can, whether it's through, you know, LinkedIn and my website and others. But Touchwood. Appearing on podcasts. Exactly. Getting on very, uh, yeah. very good podcasts are always a... Uh, always going to help <laughs> but uh but yeah you know, touch with i've been fortunate that you know despite all that's been uh been thrown at us uh, particularly this past year i managed to kind of keep things ticking over and and yeah zero yeah. regrets and say particularly the power of hindsight of if i had made other choices back then where would i be now and so yeah i'm you know forever grateful and uh yeah i've had a lot of fun doing it i think the uh if you've been able to kind of keep ticking over through this period i think it, it speaks volumes as to the the respect of the network uh in terms of you know people clearly do value what you do and what you bring to their business and that you know that could be somebody that you know already or you know or new people who are let's face it there's going to be a lot of new concepts come out of this uh, at this time who are, are going to see this as an opportunity to you know the reset button's basically been pressed on the industry and let's be part of that so i'd imagine the opportunity for for someone like you who can really add value to businesses in areas that somebody who's had an idea doesn't necessarily come from the industry you know, you're going to be able to add massive value to that process. I would have thought it's very kind. I should get a quote on the uh, on the website for that. I was um, going to say, I, yeah. just just record that, and I'll uh, yeah. exactly. That's done. Yeah, can we just play yeah. this for the entire hour of the podcast? That would be great. Yeah, um, just yeah, no, I certainly hope so. And I think, yeah, as I I kind of referenced before, I think that the kind of range of experience I had, even if it is on paper within one company, actually, it's you know seven companies if you include the international franchises and subsidiaries and so on and so forth. But yeah, I think does i hope put me in kind of a, a strong position because i think you're right there are businesses out there whether it's people who've got you know they've got the concept but maybe not the experience or just where particularly now with that kind of nimbleness somebody who you know i need this kind of tomorrow and whether that's i say you know a, a review of the drinks list because actually maybe the last time i looked at my drink list was last march when i was last kind of properly trading or whether it's a case of right you know we want to grow the business now and you know take some of these opportunities we need an employee handbook or a new till system or a whatever it may be. I'm just doing projects at the moment on health and safety and that kind of stuff, which, you know, maybe it's not the most uh, kind of fun and exciting, but great. You know, I'm loving it. It's, you know, it's different. And it's also massively essential, right? I mean, absolutely. The, uh, and, and, and especially then, for somebody who'd be coming into this industry pretty green, you know, they, maybe that's not something that they don't ever consider. Absolutely. Exactly. And those things which, you know, we're all kind of uh, used to uh, almost kind of ingrained in the business of, right, yeah. <laughs> these are kind of the basics, the kind of essentials for, you know, some other people it, it's not, you know, and you, you know, you walk into a site yeah. and you have that kind of, 
there's kind of ops eyes where it's like, okay, right, where's this? Where's that? How's this done? Where's that? Where's the records for this? Boom, boom, boom. You know, that doesn't come necessarily kind of naturally if, uh, if that's not something where you kind of experience. So, yeah, I've been fortunate. And likewise with the you know, the projects I've had have been a, a real mix of things from, say, you know, this is kind of a health and safety piece to tender packs to, let's say, drinks list. And that's kind of been my kind of traditional forte. But to almost, uh, dare I say, everyone's kind of been a little bit different, which is, you know, great for me as well because i'm not just doing the same stuff every single time and you know changing the font changing the logo so it's actually keeping the uh, keeping the brain ticking over which is helpful yeah absolutely i love on your uh, linkedin profile actually you've got down there is uh, a hospitality consultant and wine guy indeed yeah i mean that was on the uh comes a bit from oh, well, i'll probably blame uh fletch and, uh, and kieran for this one but uh <laughs> quite often referred to as yeah the wine guy and uh and then think experience 101. Uh, but right. that certainly one of the things during, uh, during my time at Carliche is where it was seen that depending on who you spoke to, I was known as kind of different things. So sometimes I was Mike the coffee guy. Sometimes I was Mike the bar guy. Sometimes I was uh, Mike the openings guy. And it was kind of, yeah, depending on which part of the business I kind of touched relating to that person, they knew me as kind of a sort of a different thing. And yeah, yeah. certainly interesting. At least I but had... wine certainly appears to be something that you you have a deep knowledge and love for. You say deep knowledge and love, others will say problem, but uh, yeah. <laughs> we're in the middle. But yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, wine is a is a big passion of mine. And I was yeah, super fortunate. Yeah, with Carlito, it's probably two, three times a year to go out to Italy to visit the producers, to you know, taste the wines, eat amazing food. Yeah, that sounds terrible. Exactly, it's a hard life, but somebody has to do it. Yeah, but yeah, I'm super passionate about you know, the world of wine, and not least the whole kind of demystifying wine. It's still a massive frustration of mine, and I think many others that. Wine's always made out to be this kind of super complicated and, you know, you're right, you're wrong. And, you know, can you smell the bracken and the gooseberries? And people are just like, no, I can't. Yes, and the mulch and the uh, yeah. and the mouldy leather. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah, sweaty saddlebags. But uh, yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's keeping it simple, keeping it approachable and finding these kind of new ways to, to kind of do that. So whether that's through kind of staff training, whether it's through customer events, you know, I'm just super passionate about that kind of... Uh, yeah, the penny drop moments with people where they're kind of like, ah, okay, now I get it. Or it's like, okay, right, I, you know, I know why I like this. Or, you know, I've got a bit more of a kind of a steer without, say, boring with the technicals and the and the stuff that nobody really cares about, I don't think. Mm. Just the head of the world sometimes wants to make things far more complicated than it needs to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'd have thought, as a, as a guy from Somerset, that you'd be pumping cider. I mean, I don't, I'm, a, I'm a fan of cider, but it's my kind of, yeah, it's a day drinking in the sun in a, as you put, on a day off, obviously. But yeah, aside my kind of go-to for that one, it's kind of a, a nice kind of hot weather. I love the I love the caveat there on a day off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I actually literally only last night I, I was uh, caught up on a program that I recorded over Christmas, which I think was actually from a couple of Christmases ago. It was Remarkable Places to Eat, uh, and it was Bristol. And they took a trip south into Somerset and uh, went to a place called The Newt, and they were making their own cider but in a kind of wine style as opposed to our classic cider style and i was like oh my god i need i need to go there yeah exactly that's that's one for next trip back when these things are allowed absolutely yeah absolutely anyway that's probably a small digression point that never happens on this show great well i mean i wish you wish you continued success on uh, in your your project and uh, obviously if there is anything we can do to help then i'll happily do so let's go go back to fun you've had I think you even alluded to it earlier in the conversation around the fact that um, you know we might talk about some of the fun elements later. Well, we're at that section. So um, any stories from your time in the, the hospitality industry so far that you can share with us that were a little bit out of the ordinary? 
so many. Again, just trying to think which ones are still covered by kind of legal protections or otherwise. <laughs> but uh, yeah, actually, I came up with a couple, which I thought one's kind of a one's kind of nice, nice sort of a, you know a heartwarming kind of hospitality side of things, and the other one's just hilarious. So I thought I'll, I'll share them both. Why not? Both happen to uh, to time of the uh, the wonderful world of uh, of all things international. I think it does seem to be a, an unwritten rule that kind of the further away from home you are, the more kind of crazy these scenarios are. Yeah. But I remember one uh, back. I want to say 2008 or something like this, opening the first restaurant for college shows in uh, in Qatar, in Doha. And yep. it was it was quite an experience for a whole variety of reasons. We were out on the um, a development called the Pearl. I don't know if you're familiar with it, with these kind of man-made islands, but beautiful, like stunning sort of part of the world. And it was kind of interesting. I think at that point, we'd opened three restaurants with the same sort of franchise partners in Dubai. But the minute you kind of hop into, uh, into Qatar, it's it's basically all change, you know. It's it's a different country for a start, but yeah, yeah. I think it was just myself from the UK who who went over there because by this point, having you know, done some openings locally, they kind of had their own team from you know, Dubai there to kind of support and do the you know, the various departmental trainings so on and so forth. But what yeah should have started off as being something a bit more kind of straightforward. The long short of it, we didn't have any gas, and it's difficult to train in a restaurant without any gas. But more of a kind of a double iron. I think Qatar, uh, and I last checked, is either the world's largest or second largest producer of natural gas. And you can actually <laughs> see the gas platforms from the terrace outside the restaurant. And it was, uh, you know, quite a I'm polite when I say this. It can be quite a typical experience in the Middle East when you're inquiring as to timelines for them to be less than specific. I think is my polite way of saying it. So every day was right. kind of like, oh, tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. You know, kind of tomorrow kind of never came. I was getting kind of more increasingly frustrated. You're suddenly realizing it's like, right, we've, you know, those guys could carry plates and trays like nobody's business, but you're soon running out of things to train them with it actually before you can uh, yeah, show them the food. Yeah, The chef was quite kind of enterprising at one point, discovered that the, the electric combi oven we had, we could cook some of the uh, some of the dishes in there, so kind of steaming pastas, so on and so forth. And I remember having these kind of daily conversations with the Simon Kossoff back in the UK of kind of just venting essentially about this kind of multitude of things, not least the, you know, the gas not being there. And yeah, daily getting told it's like, okay, just yeah, fine, leave me be then, get the next plane home, do whatever else, and yeah, their issue. And I was like, no, yeah, I will not be defeated. There's got to be a solution. Yeah. <laughs> and the solution basically took the form of, of one day, rather than doing the training on site in the restaurant, we went to the staff accommodation, busted down to the staff accommodation, there and kind of this yeah, kind of little development on the, uh, on the outskirts of Doha. And we basically conducted the menu tasting on an upturned double bed in the middle of the garden with all the cooking being done on two camping gas stoves. <laughs> and I yeah, probably 40, 50 staff there, you know, learning about menu dishes and just kind of super surreal where it's like, yeah, I will do a menu training. It will happen one way or another. We'll find a way. And, and we did, but it was just, yeah. Whatever it takes, man, whatever it takes. Exactly. And I think it was kind of nice. Everyone's kind of like, yeah, kind of all just to pull together. And it's like, right, find a solution. I think that's one of the great things attributes for people so working in hospitality is you find a solution whatever happens you know we've all been in that situation you know the fire alarm goes off in the middle of a busy shift or the you know the door falls off its hinges or whatever else and yeah hospitality folk you don't just say oh sorry guys we're gonna have to shut up and you know, go home and that's it not least because you wouldn't have that conversation with your ops manager yeah. but you get on and you find a solution you do something that was that was kind of one example then the other one which is kind of not directly related to hospitality but it took place during a restaurant opening so i'm gonna make it so it's close enough exactly close enough uh this one's actually in uh, in istanbul out opening one of the restaurants over there and as a little kind of precursor to this the the franchise partner at the time, they were suggesting some accommodation for us all to stay uh, whilst we're opening this 
just restaurant. They sent over this kind of link and this hotel looked kind of okay, but it was a bit kind of in the middle of nowhere, close to the mall where the restaurant was, but basically nothing else. And I was like, right, I'm going to find something better for us. And found these great, really nice looking kind of service departments, nice kind of uh, area with lots of kind of restaurants, places around, things to kind of see and do when we weren't working. So I kind of you know, sent them the link and said, look, how about this place? It's you know, it's within budget. It's whatever else. You know, can you book this for us? And they came back and said, yep, yeah, cool, we can do it. The only thing is uh, there are quite a few nightclubs in the area. And myself and my, my training team, including a, a certain Mr. Liam Wood, were like, we have no issue with nightclubs in the vicinity. <laughs> so, yeah, sure enough, we booked this place. Yeah, fantastic, no issues. And probably about uh, a week or so into the opening, we'd finished today's training probably been out for dinner um it's kind of team but ambling our way back to the uh, the apartments and again probably showing my reputation now but i do have one for uh for that point of the evening suggesting a nightcap and you know a last quick oh, oh you're the wine guy exactly and uh yeah and whilst the colleagues were like no nah, it's been a long day you know we're not good we've got this day tomorrow so on and so forth reliably liam was up for a said nightcap so we decided to uh to find a bar kind of near to the uh the apartments we do something different that night we you know, tried out a few of them and found this one that we just thought fine it looks like a bar we're literally having a beer job done so we went inside we ordered our, our two beers and our finest turkish and as we're kind of having a chat and and drinking our beers we noticed that the uh, lady behind the bar was very adamant in trying to communicate with us and our turkish wasn't great her english was non-existent it's always a, a recipe for success isn't it yeah exactly so we kind of just did the whole like smile nod politely and then ignore her a bit whilst we carry on our conversation and drink our beer and yeah just when she keeps on kind of trying to chat to us and so on and so forth it's like okay that's a bit odd and then another girl i think was working there came around she started to chat to us but the same thing like no english us no turkish there was you know, more google translate and god knows what's going on this evening and yeah all a little bit weird and anyway we're probably two-thirds of the way through our, our beer at this point and it's the i think the only other patron was kind of at the back of the room Clearly with another drink, and I happened to notice because we were sitting at the bar, this uh, this barman kind of pouring half of a, a beer into a glass and then topping it up with water. And I guess a bit odd. <laughs> yeah, maybe he's you know a local drunk or whatever it may be. And I was like, what kind of an establishment waters down drinks? Okay, one where the ladies are very keen to get chatting with you. And needless to say, it turns out that when the uh, when our Turkish host referred to there being a lot of nightclubs in the area. They're actually uh, referring to bars where ladies are available for hire. I think is a is a potential technical terminology. I so see. yeah, essentially, uh, Liam and I were being uh, indecently propositioned by these two ladies. Uh, oh, and you were smiling and nodding as well. We were smiling we and nodding, and um, <laughs> I'm very much barking up the wrong tree. But that's an aside. And yeah, long and short of it, like we kind of we realised it was probably time to make a move. We politely asked for the bill and our, our finest Turkish. I don't remember it, but needless to say that the bill that was presented us was probably a about 10 times the actual price the beer should have been. By happy coincidence, there happened to be a price list on the wall just behind us, which showed a correct price for the beers. Uh, another happy coincidence we happen to have between us in cash, pretty much, yeah, the amount that the beers should have been. Maybe a little tip on there as well. And so with lots of kind of gesturing and then a little bit of kind of shouting, we just kind of gave them the money, pointed at the tariff on the wall and stormed out, only to then realise at one point we were being followed by a bouncer, pimp, I don't know what it may have been, as we kind of scuttled back to our apartments. Needless to say, we made it home fine. It was all good. We had to take a slightly yeah, different route to, to work the, for the rest of the year. Tell the tale. Exactly. Yeah. Avoid walking past this place, but it did make a hilarious story where you know, it's how kind of like, oh, what did you get up to last night? It's like, well, actually, interestingly enough, 
Well, William, I decided to have a chat with a couple of ladies of the night. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it was a, that was kind of a yeah, a very fun so random one. Yeah, I do you know I had a, a similar experience in Amsterdam when I was but a young lad and didn't know any different, had not seen the world in any way, shape or form. And uh, myself, I was on ships at this time and uh, myself and two mates, we went off just to have a couple of beers after work. We were overnighting in Amsterdam, found this quiet little backwater bar, just thought, great, music's not too loud, go in, just have a natter and stuff. And, and much like your scenario, we were we were just chatting away to each other and a lady comes over who did speak perfect English and she was um, laying it on fairly thick. I think it's that's probably a the polite way of saying it. And she was like, oh, maybe you could buy us a drink. And we were like, yeah, no problem. Our disposable income wasn't so bad back then. And we uh, we bought her a drink and she bought a bottle of Dom Perignon, which okay, is yeah, very nice of her. That's probably not quite what you had in mind. And then we said, no, 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 we, uh, we're not going to pay for that. And that's when they, they sent over the um, the big boys. Ouch. And we thought, hmm, maybe this is not the bar for our experience that we were looking <laughs> for. So we actually did pay the bill because it, it felt a bit a bit threatening. But uh, it's definitely worth the uh, little note from your Uncle Phil. It's definitely worth doing your, your research before you go into uh, backwater bars anywhere in the world. Fair play. Yeah, fun and games, eh? Can't beat a bit of travel. Absolutely. <laughs> you live and learn. That's um, as long as you do. That's 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 cool. Great. Well, if if people want to get a hold of you to learn more about you and your your company and how you can add value to them, what's the best method for them to do that? If they're not searching around uh, backwater bars trying to find me, probably the easiest yeah. way is they can jump over to uh, my website, which is mikestocks.co.uk or convince me the email address, which is mike at mikestocks.co.uk. Either of those work. Otherwise, I'm on all of your social channels, the usuals, LinkedIn, Facebook, stuff like that. Instagram. Perfect. And I'll uh, I'll put all the links in the, uh, the show notes as well. And uh, wonderful. Well, thank you, Mike. Thanks for coming on to share your your story. Really, really interesting to to learn your your journey so far. Just getting started. Absolutely. <laughs> and um, wish you all the very best. My absolute pleasure, Phil. It's been uh, been great fun. Nice one. All right. Take care. You too. Cheers. Now. Cheers. Bye bye. And there we have it. Another fantastic journey and story delivered from Mike, demonstrating that it's always great to be open to opportunity, even if it deviates you from the plan. We wish Mike continued success in his consultancy. Don't forget, we'll be back at 8pm next Wednesday with more stories from hospitality. But until then, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.